Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the occasion of two, at least two, significant anniversaries this uh, weekend and the few days that follow. Most obviously, to most people, I guess, it's the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington in 1963, where Martin Luther King delivered his speech best known for I Have a Dream. And um, I highly recommend, by the way, my favorite um, recollection of that event. I didn't go to it. I was in New York City that summer. But a um, wonderfully talented New York City radio personality, Gene Shepard, Gene, J-E-A-N, did go down to the March on Washington and came back with a 45-minute long recollection of it on the radio. And it's, it's available on the Internet for free if you just uh, Google Gene Shepard March on Washington. But the other anniversary is not as well remembered, media-wise or otherwise, but especially media-wise, unless you happen, as I do, to live in New Orleans. And it is the 18th anniversary of what is known to the nation as Katrina. That's not what a lot of us down there call it at least in the early days when memories were sharp it was known by a lot of folks in the New Orleans area as the Federal Flood so named because two university-based investigations after the event placed the blame for the death and destruction on the United States Army Corps of Engineers. It was the leaders of those two investigations that were the two of the three main witnesses in a documentary that I ended up making about the event. The third was a whistleblower from inside the Corps of Engineers. And um, what the aftermath was is that the United States Congress ignoring the findings of the Corps' responsibility for what one of the academic authors at UC Berkeley of that their report on the disaster called the greatest man-made engineering catastrophe since Chernobyl. Congress gave the Corps of Engineers $14 billion and said, try again, do better next time which led to the current, quote, system, harm reduction system that the Corps built in the following few years. It included some hard objects, walls, pumps, other hard objects 
And I bring that up because of this news story this week. Dateline Collier County, Florida, the Army Corps of Engineers Coastal Storm Risk Management Feasibility Study is getting a new look. Quote, people think that our previously recommended plan is still on the table. It's not. Unquote, Abigail Preddy, a project manager with the uh, local district of the Army Corps in Collier County, Florida. The previous conceptual recommended plan, which is no longer being considered, had an estimated total project cost of $2.4 billion. It included three 14-foot-high concrete seawalls, two lock-type structures. The plan that met a lot of public concern about the flood walls, the gates, and the surge barriers and all that, we're not considering that anymore, said Preddy. Last week, Miami-Dade County officially struck down a similar proposal from the Corps, a $5 billion project that included 20-foot-high seawalls. County officials on the East Coast claimed public sentiment was a driving factor in their decision. Quote, some of the issues and concerns in Collier, we had the same nature of issues in Miami. Same issues, same time. People are concerned about environmental compliance, said Preddy. The uh, Corps had had multiple public meetings throughout the locality, encouraging residents to speak out in support of the structures. Both the Army Corps and the Environmental Defense Fund said the focus of future proposals will be on nature-based solutions. Quote, we're looking at beach renourishment, dune systems, and non-structural measures says Michelle Hamor, the chief of planning and policy for that local district of the Army Corps. So they're going a different route that the Corps went in New Orleans, where, as I say, it was just more hard structures and hard objects. Oh, by the way, among the objects were pumps. I'll go into the purpose of the pumps at another time, but they were necessary functionally for a part of the New Orleans system. The first pumps they installed were found defective by the previously mentioned whistleblower from within the core that's in my film. Then there was a second round of pumps to supplant those, though the core reversed its initial description of those pumps, the defective ones, the, the ultimately found defective ones, as temporary. The uh, pumps to replace them had the same budget cost as the temporary pumps. Those were the new permanent pumps. By permanent, they meant a 50-year lifespan, later reduced to 35 years, and... Just a few months ago, the Corps announced that those new pumps were defective as well. After only five years of installation, they were defective in the sense that they were corroding. And the Corps announced 
that they would be researching why they were corroding. This is an agency that has put metallic stuff in water for about a century, and they're researching why metallic stuff put in water has corroded. The beginning of this story, the initial flooding of New Orleans, the 18th anniversary is Tuesday of this week, and the story continues. Hello, welcome to the show. Santa Monica, California, where there's plenty of dirty work remaining to be done. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. He's clean. He's cheap. He's too safe to meet her. He's our friend, the Adam. You know from the uh, other media this week that um, 
after years and years of prep, the um, Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, is beginning to dump water laced with the radioactive isotope tritium into the ocean, which uh, Japan shares access to with, among other countries, South Korea and China. They have not been all that enthusiastic about it, those neighboring countries, but Japan has gone ahead with the project because the water which um, flowed through the stricken Fukushima, Fukushima nuclear power station has been piling up in tanks. You're welcome. And um, they don't know what else to do with it. And of course, there's been no shortage of concern about tritium. It's a radioactive substance, although very low level radioactive substance. And now to prove that, and uh, how really not considerable danger to humans in a bid to assuage lingering concerns over Japanese seafood in general, the U.S. ambassador to Japan is going to eat, or publicly eat seafood from Fook to demonstrate his confidence in its safety. And that's none other than Rahm Emanuel. Yes, Rahm Emanuel is going to be eating radioactive seafood. I know. We all wished it on him. And here it is. He told Japan's Kyoto News Agency would visit Fook at the end of this month to physically show support and then to express confidence in the process that Japan has methodically pursued. That's a quote. He'll be meeting with the mayor, visiting a seafood market, and eating fish caught in the area at a restaurant. He said this would show not only solidarity, but the safety of the water's release. He also insisted Japan was following the right course, and that the research into the impact of the discharge of water had been, quote, fully transparent, scientifically based, and internationally recognized. That's not the most reassuring set of words about radioactive fish that I've ever heard. In July, just last month, the survey found that 62% of South Koreans would cut back or stop eating seafood after the water started being discharged according to Reuters. That's despite Seoul, capital of South Korea, pledging to closely monitor the release. In recent weeks, some consumers in China, Japan's biggest export market for seafood, also questioned whether it would be safe to eat the country's seafood products after the water was released into the ocean. Late this week, Beijing announced it was banning Japanese seafood products in response to to the water's release. Rom, you should head for China. And submerged heaters have been installed inside the reactor, reactor at the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station, and they likely 
increased the release of radioactive tritium, there's our old friend tritium, into the air, according to a federal inspection report. The report this month by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission says the heaters will cause more evaporation and probably a slight increase in tritium passing through the ventilation system in the reactor building. The uh, owner of the plant, Holtec International, they buy these nuclear plants that have closed down for the purpose of uh, remediating the remaining nuclear stuff and making the the site potentially usable for another purpose. Holtec has been trying to get approval to dispose of water from the closed plant either through direct release into Cape Cod Bay, hello Japan, evaporation or some other method. The State Department of Environmental Protection issued a tentative denial last month of a permit for Holtec to do the release into the body of water. And a U.S. appeals court on Friday canceled a license granted by a federal agency to a company to build a temporary nuclear waste storage facility in western Texas. Again, many of us might have wished that came to pass. The Republican-led state has argued it would be dangerous to build that facility in one of the nation's largest oil basins. Three-judge panel of the New Orleans-based Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals found that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission lacked the authority under federal law to issue permits for private, temporary nuclear waste storage sites. The license was issued a couple of years ago to uh, Interim Storage Partners, LLC. It was challenged by Texas, as well as West Texas oil and gas interests. U.S. Judge James Ho, Ho, writing for the court, agreed with Texas that the Atomic Energy Act does not give the agency the broad authority to license a private away from reactor storage facility for spent nuclear fuel. Ho, an appointee of uh, President, former President Trump, said a license for that kind of a facility conflicts with a U.S. law called the Nuclear Waste Policy Act. It prioritizes permanent storage solutions, allows temporary storage only at reactors themselves or at federal sites. Of course, there is no permanent storage solution for nuclear waste. So that's a good law. Texas Governor Greg Abbott petitioned the court a couple years ago to review the order by the agency authorizing interim storage partners to receive and store up to 5,000 metric tons of spent fuel at a planned repository in Andrews County, Texas. Abbott opposed the plan, saying he would not let Texas become, quote, America's nuclear waste dumping ground, unquote. It's so many other kinds of dumping ground, I don't... The plan for a temporary facility was devised in order to address a growing nuclear waste problem. In these here in the United States, the Andrews County location was chosen after efforts to build a permanent storage facility in Nevada, as you know, fell apart. 
in the face of fierce local opposition. Clean, cheap, too safe to meet her, our friend the Adam. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as other media portray the fairly shockingly, perhaps, demise of the metaverse, here comes Paris Hilton to try to save it. Yes, I'll read the trades for you. From AdAge.com Paris Hilton is on a mission to change how brands approach the metaverse. Not as a one-and-done game, but as a social channel to build into long-term media strategies. Hilton, who proclaims herself the queen of the metaverse, views herself and her virtual creations as a brand is a bridge for brands to be able to come into the metaverse because it's obviously such a new world for so many brands and they don't know how to come in. This week she unveiled her latest Roblox world, Sliving Land. Sliving, Paris explained a couple of years ago, is the new That's Hot. Her goal is shifting how brands view activating in the metaverse as well as being the intersection for the hottest topics in marketing, fandom, emerging technology, and the creator economy. Slivingland will host Hilton's media empire while also offering real estate for brands. Visually, it, it melds Hilton's unique brand of all things pink. Gee, that sounds novel. Bedazzled and velured, flip-phoned and electronica into a neon-lit cityscape. Users can visit venues that host the creator's music, podcasts, and shows, as well as games, events, and product drops, such as digital pets and a limited line of 2000s fashion to celebrate Slivingland's launch. Slivingland will sell marketers real estate and naming rights for everything from streets and alleyways <laughs> to customizable billboards and buildings. Brands will be able to hold events in Slivingland with Hilton, as well as the community of, quote, my other celebrity friends and influencers and gamers, unquote, that she aims to spotlight through her virtual presence. Last year, the marketing world was in a frenzy of NFT projects and metaverse activations, both of which have since slowed down. While some brands quickly leaped to erect their metaverse cute thing that happens on the side, the director of Web3 and Metaverse at 1111 Media, Hilton's company said Slivingland exemplifies a successful model for activating on platforms such as Roblox. We're going to be talking about gaming platforms like Roblox as another social channel in the marketing mix in the future. 
Hilton was an early adopter of Web3 technologies, launching digital wearables as early as 2015 and beginning to develop her other metaverse community. Yes, she's got two. Paris World in 2017. I don't have one. She has two. Obviously, the technology hadn't caught up with me yet, Hilton said. A lot of brands are sitting back and they know they need to be in the metaverse, but they don't know how, says Crystal Hauserman, our marketing director at 1111. Where Paris has been such a trailblazer, she continues, is being a safe partner to come in and help brands show up in a new world. Part of Hilton's inspiration for launching her company, 1111 Media, of which she's CEO, is to combine the community, content, and commerce with her first adopter eye for cultural trends. She says her cultural clairvoyance was something she was born with. Also, the ADHD helps with that. And being an Aquarius, says Hilton. I'm just like a naturally creative person, unquote. She also credits her enthusiasm for research and being a student of the game when it comes to tech and innovation and can lend the power of her 70 million social followers. A recent partnership was with Taco Bell for which Hilton created social content, a hotline, and revived an archived song to launch the return of the chain's volcano menu. Taco Bell's told Ad Age the campaign has been one of its most successful this year. Hilton also takes pride in her creative spontaneity and considers it a critical part of her process. You know what? So do I. learning Paris Hilton is still around. Something that happens when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this program. Real cool, real cool, he 
a gentle, he's great, he's all the world to me. He knows what to do when I'm feeling blue. He grabs me and whispers, baby, there's no one else but you. He's a real cool guy and I love him deep, I do. Yes, he is real cool. Real cool. From Santa Monica, still recovering from the hurricane with almost no wind. This is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe not smart enough. It seems the future has been postponed again. Behind the hype of generative AI, large companies are struggling to deploy the new technology, hitting cost and data management hurdles that are leaving many of their generative AI projects stuck in pilot phase. This from Axis.com. Companies remain optimistic overall about the boost in productivity promised by AI, but achieving the technology's potential is taking longer and costing more than many initially expected. No. Deloitte and NVIDIA announced this week they will supplement an existing AI partnership by establishing an ambassador AI program to help struggling companies move to full-scale deployment of AI. More than half of AI decision-makers in top companies are facing cost barriers to deploying the latest AI tools, according to Standard & Poor's. Nearly 70% of respondents to their global survey said they have at least one AI project in production. About half of those companies are still in pilot or proof-of-concept stage, outnumbering those who have reached enterprise scale. Many companies are finding their data isn't organized for the AI revolution, saved in different formats and disparate data sets, sometimes still on paper. 
What are you guys doing? What is with this paper? Data management, security, and accessing sufficient computing resources are the top challenges for respondents to the S&P survey. Around half of the surveyed IT leaders said their organizations aren't ready to implement AI. Some say it may take five years or more to finally build AI into their company workflows. Other knockoff effects of greater AI use include its climate footprint. 68% of respondents said their internal targets for energy use are now under challenge because of how much computing power AI requires. Leaders in many large companies still have reservations about using AI, aside from the hurdles to implementing it. Implementing it. The co-founder of HR software provider Greenhouse told Axis while he's working to find ways to use AI, he is, quote, super nervous, unquote, about any situation where AI could amplify bias in the hiring process, especially when AI models cannot explain how they arrive at a decision, a basic step in any hiring process. Another piece of the future is looking overhyped. SK Telecom, South Korea's dominant mobile carrier, has declared that 5G was overhyped, has underdelivered, and has failed to deliver a killer app. The telco offered that assessment in a recent white paper entitled 5G Lessons Learned. Looking forward, you knew this was coming, to what's got to be done to prepare for 6G. I said 6G. Will there be room on your streets for more polls? The paper opens with an unflattering assessment of 5G. This is according to the tech journal, The Register. The authors recall being sold on, I, on 5G as an enabler of autonomous driving, unmanned aerial vehicles, extended reality, and digital twins. These applications were possible, says The Register, but did not succeed to a combination of, quote, device form factor constraints, immaturity of device and service technology, low or absent market demand, and policy regulation issues. The performance of 5G networks was not the issue, according to the paper. Many tasks that could have been the goal of 5G are still far from completion four years into the technology's commercial deployment. These goals were meant to be realized in the long term, but that expectation was not accurately conveyed to consumers, leading to, quote, excessive expectations. It's easy to see how consumers might expect a massive step change, as was the case when 3G evolved into LTE. 5G consists of incremental improvements continually rolling out on top of existing technology, meaning users will be less likely to notice them. There have been some victories in 5G. A 70% reduction in data cost per gigabyte compared to LTE. Customers on 5G are using 50% more data 
than those tied to the previous standard. The white paper suggests 6G, already in development, expected to debut in 2030, can avoid the mistakes made with 5G. Many of the new technologies are just more developed versions of ones already cited for 5G, like autonomous driving and digital twins. I don't even know what that is. For example, level 4 full autonomous driving will require 6G. Don't tell Elon. The telecom company that created the paper suggested it plans to take the lead in developing 6G technology and contribute to Korea becoming a global leader. And finally, in news of the smart world, San Francisco Bay Area techies who want to hail a driverless cruise robo-taxi now have fewer to pick from because officials said it must reduce its fleet immediately in the wake of several incidents just a day after a collision between an emergency vehicle and a driverless robo-taxi late this past week. California Department of Motor, v Motor Vehicles said it was investigating recent concerning incidents involving cruise vehicles in San Francisco and is in contact with both crews and law enforcement officials. It said its primary focus was the safe operation of autonomous vehicles and safety of the public who shared the road with these vehicles. The DMV said in a statement on Friday night the company must slice its autonomous fleet in half, no more than 50 driverless vehicles on operation during the day, 150 at night when it's dark and you can't see that it's a autonomous vehicle crashing into you. The night before, cruise vehicles were involved in two collisions. The one, the first one was with first responders. The company tweeted that one of its cars had entered the intersection on a green light and was struck by an emergency vehicle that appeared to be en route to an emergency scene. Cruz said in an update that its AV, autonomous vehicle, did identify the risk of a collision and initiated a braking maneuver, reducing its speed, but was ultimately unable to avoid the collision. The AV's ability to successfully chart the emergency vehicle's path, Cruz said, was complicated by the fact that the emergency vehicle was in the oncoming lane of traffic, which it had moved into to bypass the red light, you know, like emergency vehicles do. In a report released earlier this month, the San Francisco Police Department said it had logged around 50 written reports of interference from Cruz and Waymo robo-taxis where they had blocked fire station ingress or egress or transit to locations and other forms of intrusive driving behavior. As uh, you probably know, the uh, rollout of self-driving cruise taxis in California was given a green light by the California Public Utilities Commission. It had been moving against vocal opposition from police, firefighters, and other city agencies when it voted to expand the hours of operation. The very next day, the robo-rides broke down 
holding up traffic on a busy night after the units reportedly lost wireless connectivity cut off presumably from 5g it's a smart 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 world ladies and gentlemen i um, propose that the key to all of the behavior that we find odd in the uh, public life of a certain ex-president all of it is powered to use the current word by shamelessness you couldn't do the stuff he does if you were normally capable of getting getting red-faced at uh, your own behavior and this week we got new proof of that most politicians would shall we say soft pedal the indictment that rained down on donald trump this week try to keep it out of the news try to avoid mentioning it try to avoid any photographic evidence of it this guy he's shameless he is in fact promoting the indictment he is uh, putting out merchandise featuring his mugshot as the guy in the um, car insurance commercial says who does that of course not only the mugshot became public so did his prisoner id number he may be already trying to monetize that I've had a famous name Now I've got a famous number That thanks to DA so dumb And judges that are dumber I'm doing it all for you Don't worry, I'll be fine Your favorite president P.O. 135809 They allege a big conspiracy Guess what? I am too The deep state is after me Because they're after you When the stakes are this high it's okay to go over the line you know my number po 1135809 po 1135809 i've got some new lawyers now there are never enough Some say I need to go gently Others say I need to be rough They all need to prove 
I've got a rock hard spine. Sincerely yours, PO 1 135 809. PO 1 135 freaking 9. Santana apologized this week when anti-transgender comments that he made during a July New Jersey concert resurfaced in a social media post. Quote, when God made you and me before we came out of the womb, you know who you are and what you are. He's seen saying in the clip, he continued, later on when you grow up and you see things and you start believing that you could be something that sounds good, but you know it ain't right, because a woman is a woman and a man is a man, that's it. Whatever you want to do in the closet, that's your business. I'm okay with that. He unquotes Santana. He then mentioned his brother, Dave Chappelle. Next day, Santana posted to his Facebook page in an effort to make amends, quote, I am sorry for my insensitive comments. They don't reflect that I want to honor and respect all persons' ideals and beliefs. I realize what I said hurt people, and that was not my intent. I sincerely apologize to the transgender community and everyone I offended, unquote. He claimed his personal goal is to honor and respect all persons' ideals and beliefs, whether they are LGBTQ or not. Unquote. Wells Fargo Bank. For those of you who don't live in the area they serve, quotes around the word serve, uh, that bank has been the target of uh, many hostile legal actions over the last few years for its behaviors. Now it's confirming the uh, problems that generated customer complaints after it experienced issues with its banking system. Thursday night and into Friday morning. Customers reported losses with, or issues rather, with ATM cards being declined and the inability to transfer funds using Zelly. I No, I don't. Quote, currently some online banking customers are unable to complete transfers or Zelly transactions within online banking. Our support teams are aware and are working to resolve the issue. I apologize for the inconvenience said the bank's Ask Wells Fargo support line on the former Twitter. We don't know who the I is. Some customers were still having problems Friday morning. Quote, we're currently experiencing a range of issues that may impact your balance, transfers, and transactions. Our support teams are aware and are working diligently to resolve these issues. We appreciate your patience throughout this process. The bank said in a post on X Twitter, it's the second major technical issue with Wells Fargo Banking Services this month. On the beginning of August, customers began reporting that their direct deposits had disappeared from their bank accounts. At a bank. 
Mainline Forsyth County, Georgia. A Forsyth County school principal has apologized for a guest speaker making reference to a book character as being gay. Author Mark Tyler Nobleman was speaking to fifth graders at Sharon Elementary School. He authored the book Bill the Boy Wonder, the secret co-creator of Batman. When discussing the book, he described comic book writer Bill Finger's son as being gay, not as a chip off the old finger. Uh, that reference prompted Principal Brian Nelson to write a letter to families, quote, This is not subject matter that we were aware he was including, nor content that we have approved for our students. I apologize that this took place, the principal wrote. Action was taken to ensure that this was not included in Mr. Nobleman's subsequent speeches, and further measures will be taken to prevent situations like that in the future. Unquote. About 2,000 treasures are thought to have been stolen from the British Museum. I'll say it lost its charm. Recovery has begun of some of them, according to Chairman George Osborne. He accepted the museum's reputation as suffered, but said, quote, it's a mess we're going to clear up, unquote. A leading expert in looted antiquities told the BBC that the number of objects lost from the museum was, quote, mind-blowing, unquote. Staff member of the museum suspects of involvement has been fired, and it was announced at the end of the week that Hartwig Fisher, the museum's director, will step down immediately after accepting that a investigation two years ago was mishandled. The British Museum is one of the UK's most prestigious cultural institutions. It's been under pressure since revealing earlier this month that a number of treasure were reported missing, stolen, or damaged. Unquote. Just like the countries they were missing or stolen from might have reported earlier. The items involved dated from the 15th century to the 19th century, 15th century BC to the 19th AD, and had been kept primarily for academic and research purposes. Osborne said that not all of the items were properly catalogued and registered and suggested, quote, someone with knowledge of what is not registered has a big advantage in removing them, unquote. Osborne said more could have been done after theft concerns were first raised February two years ago. Quote, it has certainly been damaging to the British Museum's reputation. That is a statement of the obvious, and that is why I'm apologizing on its behalf, Osborne added. Deadline Georgetown, Guyana, the descendants of a 19th century Scottish sugar and coffee planter who owned thousands of slaves in Guyana, apologized this week to the descendants for the sins of their ancestor, calling slavery a crime against humanity. Hey, Governor DeSantis, did that ever occur to you? And, uh, it's got lasting negative impacts, they say. Charles Gladstone, a descendant of former plantation owner John Gladstone, traveled to Guyana from Britain with five relatives to offer the formal apology. Quote, it is with deep shame and regret that we acknowledge our ancestors' involvement in this crime, and with heartfelt sincerity, we apologize to the descendants of the enslaved in Guyana. He told an audience at the University of Guyana, 
Quote, in doing so, we acknowledge slavery's continuing impact on the daily lives of many. Unquote. Neither the president of the country, who this week demanded reparations and lashed out at the descendants of European slave traders, nor other government officials were in the audience of a couple hundred students, university staff members, and representatives of grassroots organizations. During his speech, Gladstone announced his family would create a fund for various unmanned, unnamed projects in the country as part of a meaningful and long-term relationship between our family and the people of Guyana. John Gladstone, the slave owner, was the father of 19th century British Prime Minister William Gladstone. John received more than 100,000 pounds in compensation for hundreds of slaves. You know what? Same thing happened in this country. The slave owners got reparations. Isn't that wacky? And the comments under a post in a private Writers Guild Facebook group were made public after one of the administrators flagged a meme as, quote, epically horrible, racist, self-martyring, unquote, while the comedy writer in question claims he was just trying to get a laugh about suicide. Good luck with that, babe. The situation unfolded earlier this month when a writer posted, Happy 100th Day to All Who Observe. Happy 100th Day. That's a comment to mark the duration of the WGA strike. Um, a reply from a writer of, among other shows, The Last Man Standing in the Big Band. And uh, in response to the reply... The uh, writer of the post said, quote, I just got my tree up, unquote, with a black and white image featuring a man hanging from a tree in what appears to be a lynching. One of the administrators of the group immediately called Tim Doyle out for this, quote, epically horrible, racist, self-martyring, vile, clueless, out-of-touch, boneheaded, disturbing, and toxic post. The Facebook post was then shared on Twitter, ex-Twitter, where many notable names called on Doyle to explain himself. Doyle, Tim Doyle, was the author of the tree post. He said he was very sorry for the post, calling it a failed attempt to find humor in the ongoing strike. At his own expense. I'm bored at the moment, and I write a lot of jokes. I'm a comedy writer. I was brain dead in that moment, and I picked the wrong piece of clip art to go with a silly joke about killing myself after a hundred days on the picket line. I googled the words cartoon man hanging from a tree, and that's what I came up with. I really think this has been a misunderstanding. In regard to the delay in apologizing, several days, Doyle said he wasn't aware of how it landed online because he was having eye surgery in Beverly Hills. Know the feeling, babe. However, several of his friends, people of color, contacted him about the post. It was then he realized how bad he bungled the joke. My stomach dropped, he said. He had wanted to reiterate his, quote, heart was in the right place, and he apologizes to anyone who took offense to the post.
I didn't mean to hurt or inflame or anger anybody. I just wanted to add a laugh to the pile of ruminating that we've been doing right now about the strike. I'm going to be laughing later. Much later. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. Back next week, same time on this same station, or on your audio device of choice, whenever you want it. And it'll be just like Donald Trump selling replicas of his orange jumpsuit, if you'd agree with me then. Well, thank you very much, uh-huh. address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and all sorts of other stuff to read and enjoy, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on X Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from Santa Monica.